Well, good morning. Uh, We are looking on Sunday mornings at the gospel, what Paul calls the gospel of the grace of God in Acts uh, chapter 20. And I want us to look uh, today at the second half of it. We looked last week at how Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took my sins. I think there's some CDs out there um, if you want to catch up from last Sunday. But uh, there's a great transfer that takes place, a transaction in the uh, spiritual realm, the moment we come to faith in Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it like this, He made him... Christ to be sin, he who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, God made Jesus to be our sin. He didn't have any sin, but he made him, he treated him as such so that he could make us to be righteous who had no righteousness but he could make us righteous and treat us as such. Amen? Amen? That's, that's the other half. And both of that divine exchange is, I think, crucial to get a hold of for how we pray, how we live, what we believe about God. Um, another verse that indicates this uh, same exchange is 2 Corinthians 8. Verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor for your sake. So that by his poverty then, you who are poor can become rich. See, the, that's the other half. Now, I understand that he's talking about more than just uh, finances there in 2 Corinthians 8. However, (laughs) if you read 2 Corinthians 8, the topic is money. And I just put that out there for you. You can check it out later, but that's the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse 9, nonetheless, the exchange is spoken of then in, in, in a, you have arrows going two ways, my sinfulness and unworthiness onto him, by which then God punished it all in him. And his worthiness and righteousness and riches and merit transferred to me, by which then God adopts and treats me as he would his son Jesus. He treated Jesus as me, thus the serpent sermon from last Sunday. Jesus is viewed as a serpent on the cross in John 3. You can get that CD. And I am now viewed as a son and treated as such. Uh, Jesus was rejected as a sinner that I might be adopted as a son. 
He was cursed that I might be blessed. He was cursed, that's one half. And uh, really the church um, doesn't have a lot of problem with that. We, we've, we get that. Jesus died for me. What's more simple, more beautiful? It's that second half that we tend to neglect because we feel unworthy. But what are we looking at when we, when we talk about our unworthiness? Ourself. And it's not about us. It's not about our worthiness. It's about amazing grace. And you never get the full message of amazing grace until you not only see your unworthiness punished at the cross, but your, His worthiness blessed in your life. And that exchange has to take place. There was, I think sometimes it's because we just don't know some of this or we haven't looked at it, which is one of the reasons I wanted to teach on this for a few Sundays. But there, uh, as an illustration of this, uh, my first full-time church was in Texas, in Weatherford, Texas. And uh, we had, there, there was the parsonage where uh, we lived, and then there was this big field, and then there was the church. And uh, about two or three, church sat on about two or three acres, and I would walk from the parsonage across the field to get to the church. So I was there two or three years, and and we were looking at that big field, and we thought that would that would be a great place for uh, our kids to play ball, and uh, and we were wondering who owned it if we might could possibly buy it. So we tossed it around a little bit and wondered how much we could offer them and who owned it. Nobody seemed to know who owned it, and we we pressed and pressed, and finally had to get the court system to. Uh, the legal system to get us who owns the property. And guess who owned it? We did. (laughs) I thought, you are kidding me. Uh, It was ours and we didn't even know it. Now you don't enjoy it, you don't appropriate it if you don't know it's yours. If you don't know that you have been given it. And so this, I think sometimes this is the way the gospel is to us. And I want to give you what, um, I'll give you this in three uh, phrases, what we've received from Jesus. One is, you will not be surprised at this one, but perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. Hebrews 10, 14. Give me the Hebrews 10, 14. This is the way this would look. Um, By a single offering, speaking of Jesus dying on the cross, by a single offering, He has perfected for all time, and the the tense of that Greek verb there for perfect is a permanent tense. You can't say something is more done than that. He has perfected permanently is the idea. For all time. Those who are, and then here's the continual tense, those who are being sanctified or being or in the process of being made holy. So there's a process on the one hand, but the perfect, the perfect standing before God is done. 
the, the gradual growth and the spiritual growth and the sanctifying process is continued, but the perfection before God and our position and standing, that's finished. And it's forever. Um, Romans 3.24 puts it like this. We are justified or made righteous by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. Now, the Old Testament, uh, as a book, uh, will often bring out pictures of this and give us uh, shadows. Uh, Hebrews 10.1 says, The law is a shadow or a silhouette of good things to come. Talking about the gospel. There are some good things to come from the standpoint of the Old Testament. And the law of the Old Testament is a shadow, an outline, an illustration. And I want to just give you one of these uh, today. Um, And it comes from the story of Balaam in the book of Numbers. In Numbers 23, verse 20, uh, Balaam has been hired to cast a curse on Israel. Uh, uh, He evidently is some kind of a witch doctor type person and he can give curses according to them. And so this king of Moab hires Balaam to go up on this mountain, look at the camp of Israel, and from standing on top of that mountain to cast a curse upon the people of Israel. So Balaam goes up there, and here's what he says. This is Numbers 23 and verse 20. Uh, Balaam says, I received a commandment to bless, so I have to bless. I cannot reverse it. He, God, has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Uh, Let me pause just a moment. English Standard Version says uh, something like trouble or misfortune. Um, The word awan... Uh, is used like 13 times in the book of Job for iniquity. The Living Bible translates it by the word sin. So I I think I'm going to go with iniquity here. God has not beheld... He said, I've got to bless them. Why? Because God does not behold iniquity or sin in Israel. He Neither has He seen perverseness... The Lord his God is with him, the shout of a king among them. And I was reading that, uh, King James says, he has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. And I thought, this is in the book of Numbers, this is in the wilderness wandering. I, if you've ever read the, about the children of Israel in the wilderness wandering, you'd know he must be blind to not see iniquity in Israel. Why can he not see it? Well, there's a sacrificial system right at the heart of it. And the people of Israel, they would come and they would lay their hands on those sheep and the guilt and sin would be transferred. The sheep would be killed uh, and punished for their sin. So right in the heart was this sacrificial system. And what is interesting, and I get this... um, This verse was brought to my attention by a book by um, Joseph Prince. And he points out, and I had been reading Numbers not too long ago, and I saw this and I wondered, 
that's strange how God goes into such detail on how the camp would be arranged, how it was put together. For example, it says uh, in Numbers chapter 1, chapter 2, it says the camp was laid out on the west as Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, those three tribes, and, and it gives the total number, 108,000. Then on the south is Reuben, Simon, and Gad of the three, three more tribes, 151,000. Then in the north is Asher, Dan, and Naphtali, 157,000. On the east is Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, the biggest, the, the most extensive, 186,000. And those are the tribes. And I thought, now that's strange that they would go into such detail on the arrangement of that camp. And if you look at the way it is laid out, you have the longest section of the Judah and Issachar and Zebulun, 186,000, you have this long section. Then you have a shorter section, almost by half. And then on each side is, are the, the three on each side almost equal. And here is what it would look like if, as Balaam saw it. Give me the next one up. He's on, on the mountain looking at the camps and the various tribes with the tabernacle in the middle, and what would he see? The cross. That's the shadow of good things to come. That's an outline of what Balaam would have seen. He said, I I can't curse whom God has blessed, and it's irreversible. He has not seen iniquity in Israel because at the heart of it was the sacrifice for sin. This is why 1 John 4.17 says, As He is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is accepted before the Father, so are we in this world. So there is a perfect righteousness based on the cross. There is also... Uh, because what is transferred to us is a perfect love. A perfect love. Uh, John 17 verse 23 gives to us the perfection of the love of God to us in Christ. And it's more than something unconditional love. Sometimes we talk about God's love is unconditional. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't quite do it. I'll tell you why. Because my love for ice cream is unconditional. I can eat ice cream in the winter. I can eat it in the summer. I can eat it in the spring. It's unconditional. And so when we say God's love is unconditional, but it doesn't tell you how much He loves you. And then sometimes people will say, uh, this is, and this is common, they'll say, you know, when I see my child, then I know how much God loves me. Not quite. Although it helps, but it's just not enough. How much does God love you? He, this is a remarkable, profound insight from Jesus. He says, so that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them as you love me. Now that's how much he loves 
you. Now that's more than unconditional. That is, that is un, unexplainable. That's incomprehensible. That is passionate. That's God. That's exotic. You, there's nothing like that in the earth. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sons like, he, like the Son of God is. God loves with such passion. He so loved us that He sent His Son. And so as that is a perfect love. It, you will never understand the Father's love for you till you understand the Father's love for Jesus. And meditate on that, then just transfer it over. And then a third thing is, it's a perfect righteousness, it's a perfect love. And third, it's a perfect merit. And here is, I think, what a lot of us struggle with. What do we deserve as a believer in Christ? In Christ, we deserve the merit what Jesus deserved. That is unbelievable favor. I don't want to say unbelievable favor, but it is inexplicable favor. Favor. What did Jesus get that He did not deserve? He got what we deserved. So that removes the punishment. That removes the absence. That removes the curse. That removes all that. So now that it's transferred, His righteousness is transferred... What do I deserve? What Jesus deserved. And I think that helps us to know how to pray. Did Jesus deserve heaven? It's the basis of you going to heaven. Do you deserve heaven? Do you know why you you are... You know, I talk about the rapture, the ascension of the believer is resurrected and he ascends upward to God when Jesus returns. Why are you able to ascend upward? Because Jesus deserved it. He's, he, he, he deserved to be able to just go right up into the presence of God. Revelation 3.21 says... To him that overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me in my throne as I overcame and sat with my Father in His throne. That's Revelation 3, 21. That's remarkable. What? Okay, to those who have overcome in His overcoming, we can sit with Him in His throne as He sits in His Father's throne. Why? Well, because that's what He deserves. So I'm in on it. I'm I'm in on that. Why? Why why would I be in on that? I'm sharing His throne because I'm sharing the merit that He has. I get what He deserved. And then when we see things like this, heaven, people talk about, I just want to get in a little corner of glory land. Jesus didn't die so you could have a corner in glory land. He died so you could be right up at the throne in the presence of the Father. And you just need to say, okay, let's just take that. 
You're not humble because somebody writes you a check for $10,000 and you got all these debts and bills outstanding and you say, well, I don't want to take, I'll just take 50 bucks. Shut up. Write a check. <laughs> Pay your bills. <laughs> One of the things I think that if we could just apply this in a couple of ways is um, our minds. Did Jesus have emotional and mental health? But you see, at the cross, what departed from Him? Everything that we think that we consider as just part of life. He lost air. Breathing air. Fresh air. Because crucifixion is uh, basically you die by suffocation. Well, air is a blessing from God. When you, so when God departs and you receive a curse, you lose air. What about sunshine? Sunshine's a blessing from God. Especially if you're in Flint. Can I get a witness on it? Send the sunshine. So what happened when Jesus died? The sky went black. There is no sunshine. Sunshine's a blessing from God. God removed His blessing. Why? Because Jesus has taken my place and I don't deserve any blessing. What about His presence? My God, why have you forsaken me? Everything that is good and a blessing he took and he gave it to me. And part of that is mental peace and emotional peace. And when when I get what Jesus deserved, I get the presence of God, I get the favor of God, I get a peace from God, I get the I get the, the Holy Spirit's presence and eternal life, and I get the mind that should have been His. This is why uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 16 says, Who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? In other words, who among us can give our mind to God? But rather, he says, we have the mind of Christ. We have, past tense, it was purchased for us. We have the mind of Christ. We have the emotional stability of Christ. I just, I need that. Amen? Does anybody need the emotional stability that Jesus deserved? Well, it's yours. I'd lay hold of that. I say, Jesus, you bought it. It's in my spiritual bank account. Now, would you just grant that to me by the power of your Holy Spirit? Everything he bought and purchased, we need to pursue by faith. And what about money? Did Jesus deserve riches? This is what Paul, I think, means in 2 Corinthians 8 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. But see, poverty, God cursed Him by taking away all His wealth and position and status and income and family. So then what? 
Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. One of the things the church has done is neglect to develop a message for businessmen and business people. Where we we don't have a connection between success in business and the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. And here's, here's my message to every businessman. For your sakes, he became poor so you could become rich. Don't feel guilty if God blesses you and favors you with money. Ask for more. And I'll tell you why. 2 Corinthians 8, or 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11, Paul said, I want you to be enriched in every way so that you can then be generous. How is the church ever going to advance the kingdom, build a new children's building, unless God blesses some business people? And we get together, pool our resources that God has enriched us with, and then we can put up that children's building. Somebody uh, once said to me, uh, uh, they said, uh, I just want enough to pay my bills. Why? Why? Why would you just want enough for you? You need to pray for enough that is abundant supply so you can then have enough to give away. To give away. Now see, we, we withdraw from that because that sounds like a health and wealth preacher. And, and some of us who are Baptist, we tend to be sickness and poverty stricken preachers. Hey, I'm for disease. I'm for poverty. <laughs> What? Let's, get, let's see what the atonement has purchased and forget the categories and titles. Forget the tag. Let's just see what the gospel has purchased. And I, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, He took my poverty, 2 Corinthians 8 9, so that I could have riches and that any favor, any finance, any advancement, any prosperity that comes to me comes because Jesus died on the cross for me and paid so I could get paid. And this nation and this church's success is rooted, if we could trace it right back, we'd find it goes all the way to the cross of Jesus Christ. I praise Him because what He purchased, I want to claim. Now, I don't know what all that involves. But I know it involves more than enough just to pay my bills. I want to pay your bills. You're like, cool. (laughs) At last! A preacher who wants to pay my bills. (laughs) There's a switch. So based on Jesus dying on the cross, taking our punishment, and then the second half, us getting His righteousness, His riches, His reward, I want to give you three final thoughts. Here's number one. Brethren, let's pray big. Why do we grovel through life? Because we are unworthy. Forget that. Nobody ever said you were worthy. In fact, you're unworthy. Let's just get over that. You're inferior. Let's move on. 
That's the reason we feel inferior. We are inferior. But we're not rooted in our self. But based on His reward, based on what He deserved, let's pray big. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things which you haven't even thought of. Jeremiah 33, 3. What are you praying for right now? Pray for restoration of family. Pray for restoration of finance. Pray for a better job. Pray for a better raise. Pray for a better income. Pray for better health. Pray for a a healing of the body. Pray big prayers. Don't underestimate the rewards of Christ to you that are transferred to you. Pray big. A second thing is, let's expect good things from God. Let's expect good from God. Let's expect the favor of God. Now, especially when we don't deserve it. Okay? That's the test. Let's say you've had your worst week. You failed God you lapsed into unbelief. Now, that's when what you're looking at is tested. When when you expect good at your worst means that you have to get it from grace. (laughs) On your face, you're saying, Lord, I just fell flat on my face. I don't know when I've been this low. I just expect you, oh God, to do good to me. It shows we are where we are looking, and if we expect good from God, especially when we don't deserve it, that means we're looking to the rewards of the cross and not to the uh, worthiness of ourselves and the performance of our life. And then third, let's expect good even when something bad happens. Expect good. Don't look at that bad and then define it. Not in light of the cross. There's too much good flowing out of the cross. You don't know enough to call it bad. Uh, I'll give you this illustration. Uh, About... Three years ago, we had pipes burst over at our Bristol Road location. And it sprayed water everywhere. And and, uh, so uh, when when it does that, it's a water heating system over there. And when it does that, um, you have to call in these people and they they, uh, suck the water out, you know, the carpet. And they put the big fans in and it dries it all out. And that's thousands of dollars just to dry it out. Then you have to rebuild it. You have to put the... Uh, sheetrock back in, repaint, remodel. So we did all that. And then, this is an old building. It's about 60 years old. Well, so then uh, uh, last year, uh, pipes burst again. Middle of winter, pipes frozen burst. So once again, it spread on. This time it's in my office, my study, where, all my, where some of my prime books are kept. 
and sprayed the books, sprayed the carpet, ran downstairs in the children's department, uh, all over the fellowship hall. Once again, insurance company comes in, tears out all the carpet, puts in new flooring, repaints the walls, and we're paying like $850 a month for building insurance, for both buildings. I'm thinking, this is not good. This is not going good. (laughs) And... uh, Uh, this year with predictions of the coldest winter ever I then thought we better look for a new insurance company because I don't think they're going to keep doing this (laughs) they sent us a letter um, they said uh, uh, we have paid New Haven between thirty-five dollars and $40,000 over the past three years. Um, and I thought, yeah, because we remodeled the fellowship hall out of it, paid some of our own bills out of it. I got new books out of it. Cool. Um, and, and then you know what? Because I thought this, this is not a good thing here, we, we better start looking around. We found an insurance company through our denomination that covers a lot of our churches here. Uh, that gave us insurance half price for what the other was doing. They were theirs was about eight fifty. This is about four seventy five a month. So we we changed insurance companies. One week later, I got a letter from the insurance company saying, "We regret to inform you that we are now." canceling your coverage they didn't know we had changed I didn't write them because I we just hadn't got to that part yet but we had already been covered in fact that's like the letters passed in the mail you are now covered you are now not covered and I looked at that letter and I said praise God out of these pipes bursting every winter. We got a remodeled fellowship hall. I got new books. We got new insurance company paying half the cost. And then they send me a letter saying, we're done with you. I'm like, (laughs) bye-bye. Thank you for the 40 grand. (laughs) I didn't feel guilty because they canceled us. And then this winter, this week, ugh, I was dreading it. I got up, I told somebody, I said, Wednesday night is the test. I got up early Thursday morning, looked at my phone, and it said minus 20 at my house. 20 to below zero. Are you kidding? Is this Antarctic? (laughs) Where am I? So I got in my car and driving, praying all the way to Bristol Road. Because if it was going to do it, I mean, it did it when it was zero. Why would it not do it now? So I went through the door. And you can hear it. When you walk through the door, if the pipes are busted, you can hear them spraying. It's like a a little waterfall. 
and you can feel it dropping on you as well. (laughs) (laughs) And I walked in and silence. All the weak pipes have been replaced. (laughs) We're good. 20 below zero and no problems at Bristol Road. Hallelujah. So I thought this week, I was just thinking, you know, that's really cool. I'm so glad all that happened because we got so many benefits, including half-price insurance. All our pipes are repaired and fixed and ready for 20 below zero. I connect that directly to the atonement. That even when bad things happen, I'm going to expect good to erupt out of it because His cross and resurrection is greater than my problems in life. (laughs) Hallelujah! Listen to this verse. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will prosper and every tongue that rises against you, you will condemn. This, and then he tells you why. I hear that quoted, but they don't quote the whole verse. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that rises against you, you will refute or rebut. And here's why. This is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Call me health and wealth if you want to do so. I celebrate the cross. I celebrate the rewards of Jesus transferred to me. I celebrate the whole gospel today. And I praise Him for it. So pray big things. Expect good even when you're a a failure, when you're a loser. (laughs) Not that there are any losers here today. (laughs) <laughs> and, and expect God to bless you even when bad things happen. Amen. No weapon formed against you shall prosper because your righteousness is from Him. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of it. And all we enjoy and celebrate and receive by faith the rewards that should have gone to the Savior, but He graciously gave to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you with all our heart. Amen.